Uh, hey, I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. My name is Garrett. If we haven't met yet, I'm thrilled that you're here, thrilled that you're part of this gathering. You're here in person. You're with us online today. We are continuing. This is week two of our series entitled The Good Life. Would you say The Good Life? The Good Life. life. Now, we've all heard about it. We've all dreamed about it. We've all talked about it. We've heard Kanye sing about it. We've heard that guy with the high voice, too late. He sang about it too. We've all heard about the good life. We've seen it in movies. We've seen it in TV. We've read about it in books. And we're all chasing after that good life. Here's a challenge though. Most of us, I don't think we could all come to a commonly agreed upon definition of of what exactly the good life is. It's something, no, no matter what background we come from, no matter what grocery store we shop in, we're all chasing the good life, but, but the good life, gosh, sometimes it, it can be hard to define. Some of us might look to a, a few indicators and, and say, well, well, if I could just have this or this or this, you know, then, then I'd be living the good life. But others would say, no, I don't, I don't need any of that. What, what I need is some of this. I need a little bit of this and maybe just a little bit of this. And, and then I'm living the good life. And that's fine, but but what becomes a little bit problematic for us now here in this room or or joining us online today is is if you've said yes to Jesus and you've said yes to the truth of his written word, then, then you and I, we really don't even get to play life by our own rules any longer. We've now surrendered our lives to following after him and, and doing things the way that he invites us to. And so now we don't just take into account, we don't just add in, but rather we filter everything through a lens of Scripture. So the challenge for us today becomes, how does Scripture define the good life? What does it take for us to embody that good life that Jesus invites us to live out? The book of Ecclesiastes talks a little bit about this. Maybe you were with us last week, Pastor Tyler kicked off this teaching This series is birthed out of a a, a brief statement that Solomon makes in Ecclesiastes 3. It'll it'll be up on the screen here for you in a minute. It says this, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I don't know what the last seven days of labor have been like for you. Maybe you had some moments where you were riding the struggle bus this week. What does the worker gain from all of his struggles, all this hard work? Gosh, I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He's made everything appropriate. Would you say appropriate? There's time and space for everything. There's appropriate margin, appropriate boundary for everything. He's made everything appropriate in its time, but he's also put eternity into, into our hearts. But no one can discover the work that God has done from beginning to its end. Solomon's writing about this great mystery that that God hides away into our hearts. And and look what he says here. This is where we grab the title of this series of teachings. He says this in verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for them, that's you and I, than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. See, in order for you and I to, to embody and to live out this good life that we see presented in Scripture, it means that there are some things that, that might need to stay and some things that might need to go. There are some things that you and I today might need to say yes to that we haven't said yes to before. There are probably going to be some things at the end of our time together today that you may find that you need to say no to that you've been saying yes to, or you just need to say, eh, not, just not right now to. 
My hope is today that the Holy Spirit will, will speak those things to you and help invite you into a greater place of relationship with Him because that's what we want to look at today. See, see, last week we talked about uh, how we create margin, how we can help live this good life with regard to our time. And I hope that you were here for Pastor Tyler's teaching on this. We, we kind of talked about these two Greek understandings of time, chronos and kairos. Kronos is the literal amount of time that we have, and then kairos is, is kind of the moments within the minutes. Quality time, making lasting memories within that time. And today, we're going to unpack this a little bit further. I hope that you were here, though, because it was a great teaching. We looked at the book of Luke chapter 10. We talked about these two characters in the Bible, Mary and Martha. Maybe you had heard that story before. And, and it, it all led us to arrive at this truth that you and I can't be people who allow the busyness of our responsibilities to blind us from what matters most. All of us, we all have responsibilities. We all have things to do in the chronos, our 24 hours a day. And these things, let's, they're, they're kairos, they matter. The things that we're purposed to do here on the earth, they're important, they have value. But you and I have to find a way to not allow the busyness of our responsibilities to blind us from what matters the most. You and I must, if we're gonna take hold of the good life that Jesus is inviting us to, we have to choose the one thing that matters the most. And that is our relationship with Jesus. But here's a challenge for us. That sounds great on Sunday morning. And it's easy to do when Brandon and Jess and the team are cheering us on, when Pastor Barbara is praying the paint off the walls. That's, that's easy to do. But all of a sudden, when the Sunday high wears off and Monday through Friday comes like a right hook out of nowhere, how do we continue to pursue the good life on a daily basis? You know, the other week, uh, it's, it's funny, my, my son Ezra, he's five, um, which tells me that I have about 13 years left of good preaching material, and then I'm probably done. So my, my shelf life has now set itself. Uh, my son Ezra, uh, he just, he woke up one morning, and he just started complaining. Um, I mean, tears, angry cheeks, the whole, the whole thing. Uh, and here was the, the, the basis of his complaint. He woke up, he got out of bed, and I heard him just come clonking down the hallway, and he goes... My legs hurt. He had this weird little step, and then he kind of like did this foot drag with it. They hurt so bad. Daddy, will you carry me to the couch? He really cranked it up. I mean, he, he poured something on it, turned the emotions up to 11. The next morning, he did the same thing. Mommy, I can't walk. My legs are broken. He's so cute and he's so ad adorable, but he's also five. And so we're trying to figure out like which things are real things that require attention. And, and when are you actually having a moment where you need mom and dad to intervene? And when are you just being five? It's hard to know sometimes. Could use some discernment there. This funny thing happened about a week or so later. All of a sudden, my, my son, that's, that's how he was starting the day. And then a week later, he was ending the day with another problem. He'd, he'd hop out of the, the bath, go put his pajamas on, and, and he'd put one pair of pajamas on, and he encountered an issue. So he'd, he'd take those off, and he'd, he'd put another pair on, and, well, nope, same, same issue. And so he, he tried on a third pair of pajamas, and, and, and sure enough, the, the same problem, all of his pajamas were now too short. See, my son was experiencing, come on, help me out if you know, he was experiencing 
Growing Pains. That's the title of my message today, Growing Pains. Now, I don't know if, 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 if you've noticed this in life, but growth can be painful. Uh, rarely does growth happen, at least for me, in moments that, that don't require some level of discomfort. In fact, more often than not, I've found that growth comes with a cost. From bigger pajamas to brand new friend circles, growth has a cost. Now here's the tension for us. We're always growing something. I promise you, if I am not mindful of my spinach to Reese's cup ratio, I will grow out more than I grow up. Now we can laugh about that, but let's be honest here. Some of us, we've, we've been in the room when the doctor has given us terrible news about a growth that they discovered. See, not everything that grows is, in fact, good. From deadly diseases to weeds in our front lawn to rumors and white lies, not everything that grows is good. But in order for you and I to grow in the good life that Jesus is inviting us to, we have to grow good things. And those things in particular tend to be very, very difficult to cultivate. So today I, I want to talk about how we could grow these good things so that we can take hold of this good life we're invited to. See, good growth, it, it isn't always easy. The book of 1 Peter chapter 2, we spent some time here uh, in, in, uh, in this letter a few weeks ago during our Living as Exiles series, and we're back again because there's just so much truth in this word here. Peter writes these words, he says this uh, in verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy. Some of you, you're, you're doing this terrifying exercise right now, but good on you for being courageous enough to do it. Try some of this on for size. Where did you see some of these things rear their ugly head in the rear view of the last week or so of life? Rid yourself of all envy and all slander. Here's what Peter invites us to do. He says, like newborn infants, desire. Would you say desire? Desire. Desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up. Would you say grow up? So that you may grow up into your salvation. And then Peter makes this statement in verse 3. He says, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, have you noticed this, this funny phenomenon? Those, those first few things that Peter talks about in that passage, they, they kind of tend to grow all on their own. It's, it's weird. I don't have to put in a whole lot of effort into being hypocritical. It, it's funny. I don't really have to muster up the strength to be envious of what someone else has. In fact, I, I can't recall a time where I had to give myself a pep talk in order to badmouth somebody else. Now, please forgive my, my redundancy here as, as we start, but I really want to drive this point home. Nobody takes hold of the good life on accident. See, in order for you and I to rejoice and enjoy the good life, you and I have to do a few things, and really there's two of them. We, we've got to put in the work, and we've got to partner with the Holy Spirit. Now, understand, this is intentional wordplay here. We, we've got to put in the work, but we've got to partner with the Holy Spirit. Your effort won't get you there on your own. We live in a society, we live in a culture that would seem to suggest to us that if we just put in the work, 
If we just grind harder, just wake up earlier, go to work, do more, do more, do more, then we'll be able to take hold of the good life. But plenty of research has shown, and maybe you've even tasted and seen how that works out. It just leads out to burnout and exhaustion. No, your effort won't get you there on your own, so relax. It's not all on you and your effort to obtain this good life, but at the same time. Here's the nuance that we have to grapple with here. Just like my son has now reached an age where those achy legs can, in fact, walk on their own, friends, you and I, we have to pick up our feet and we have to walk the thing out. Now listen, sometimes I, I, I love my son. I'm, I'm an okay dad in some moments. I love him, and because I love him, look, I'll, I'll carry him when he gets tired. Oftentimes, as his father, I'll give him guidance and direction for how to order his steps, for, to tell him when it's safe to walk and when he needs to wait. But please believe that his loving father will not drag him into the good life of the Chick-fil-A play area. <laughs> I promise you, I might have made it possible for him to be there, my benevolence as a father might have provided him right access to the multicolored slide, sitting at the right hand of the weird cow sign, but make no mistake, I will not drag him kicking and screaming into the good life. No, see, here's the truth we, we have to arrive at today. Good growth requires us to put in the work and to partner with the Holy Spirit. Good growth Growing good things so that we can take hold of this good life. Good growth requires us to put in the work and to partner with the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about what it looks like when we do this. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Tyler talk about a few shifts that we needed to make with our margins for time. Today, what I want to do for the time that we have left together today, I want to talk about three shifts that we need to make in order for our relationship with God to grow. Three shifts, the first one will go quick, the next two we'll spend a little bit more time on, but three shifts we need to make so that our relationship with God can grow. The first shift is this, it's a shift in our desire. Would you say desire? desire. Now this shift, it was evidenced right there in the text. In fact, you said it yourself. Peter said these words, he wrote them, we quoted them. Desire the pure milk of the word. Desire it so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Now, this is challenging for us because right now we, we live in a society where, where it just feels like all of mainstream media is geared to prey on and to profit off of desires that are completely contrary to the word. I mean, it, it feels like more often than not, like nine out of 10 commercials that I watch, they're gearing my desire towards something that's anything but pure. What's even more challenging for us, and this is where it requires some real levels of discernment here, even more challenging is that there are desires inside of us that they aren't necessarily wrong. They're just out of their appropriate margin. You know what I mean? Here's an example. I have this weird little black band on my arm. It's a heart rate monitor that a few buddies uh, of, of mine and I have been using. Um, it tells me some fun information, what my resting heart rate is, tells me um, kind of how, how many calories I've burned throughout the day. Um, also helps tell me how much I am or am not sleeping at night. Uh, and every week or so, it publishes a report, it gives me some meaningful data that helps me make some, some necessary adjustments so that I can be healthy and so that I can do the things that, that I want to do in life. And, and one of the things that, that I've learned uh, by the data that this tool has presented to me 
is that I consume way too much caffeine. Holy moly. Uh, and that might be why I just never get any sleep at night. And, and so for the last month or so, I've started in on this journey of greatly reducing my caffeine intake. Uh, in fact, yesterday I did this horrible thing for the first time in like 30-some years. I didn't have a single dose of caffeine yesterday. Can I tell you the migraines last night were so real? Oh my gosh. But here's what happens in life. Uh, we, we do this without realizing it. We all form habits based around our desires. And in fact, uh, James Clear, he's an author of a book called Atomic Habits. It's a great read if, if you haven't uh, taken a look there. He talks about how habit formation takes place in our life. And he breaks habit formation down into four phases or four stages. I'll put them up on the screen for you. He has these four stages. The first is the cue. The next is the craving. There's a response. And then there is a reward. Now, here's what it looks like. He offers this example actually in the book, and I've seen it now evidenced in my life within the last 48 hours. Here's how it works. Here's the cue. For me, the cue is that I wake up in the morning. Now, I wake up, and it's the middle of June in the Pacific Northwest, and it's still not sunny outside. And so doggone it, I wanna feel alert. I can't hear the birds singing. I can't hear anything going on. So now all of a sudden I, I have this craving. I want to feel alert. That's the craving that sets in. Now understand that craving isn't wrong. That craving isn't sinful. That craving isn't evil. It's an okay thing. I want to feel alert. But then what I look to as the response could get me into trouble. See, I, I wake up, I want to feel alert, and so my response is that I drink a cup of coffee, and then there's a reward that sets in, where, where now all of a sudden I've satisfied that craving to feel alert. But without knowing it, I've created a subconscious association with waking up and drinking coffee. And that for a day or two might be fine, but when you compound that over 30 some odd years of living, friend, you form a dangerous habit and you cultivate particular desires that can have some consequences outside of that specific craving that you were hoping to meet. Now I've gotta wonder this, I've gotta wonder what the parallel for that silly analogy is to our spiritual life. I've got to what, wonder what kind of cravings we are trying to satisfy in our spiritual life that we've looked to the wrong things for. Now, I would just ask the question, I, I present this to you, not to come down on you, but, but just to offer to you, do, do you look forward more to daily devotions or to daily distractions? When you wake up first thing in the morning, tell me this, is your first inclination to, to just grab that phone and just start scrolling a social media thing? Or maybe, maybe you're of a generation where social media isn't your thing, so maybe you're quick to the stock reports, or there's a news article. But gosh, before you know it, you're just onto the distraction machine, and you haven't even spent time opening up the Word. You're distracted, but now you're not living a life that is devoted. What's the shift in your desire that might need to take place? Now it comes downstream. When, when tension arises with, with another individual, are you more likely to, to slander that person or to surrender that thing in prayer? Depending on how you answer, look, there's no reason to, to beat yourself up about it. But gosh, maybe, maybe we just need to gauge, is it time for me to have a shift in my desires? What habits have you formed? 
What is the craving that you're experiencing? And if you can't even identify that thing yet, maybe your first step would, would just be to identify that thing to start. We need to have a shift in our desire. Next shift is this. We need to have a shift in our disciplines. Would you say disciplines? Okay, now I want to qualify what we're going to talk about here uh, because I, I, I do understand that for some, what we're about to talk about could potentially feel very legalistic. I understand that, okay? So let me be very, very clear. I am not for one second suggesting that behavior modification will lead to a change in beliefs, okay? We know that that's not true. Psychology tells us that that's not true. The truth of scripture, long before psychologists figured it out, told us that that's not true. We know for a fact that right beliefs will inform right behaviors. We've gotta get our beliefs in order before our behaviors can catch up, okay? When I know whose I am, then I know who I am. When I know what he has called me to, then I know what to, to do. Right belief will always inform right behavior. But our behaviors do have a part to play. And Maybe today we need to make a shift in some of our disciplines. Uh, I, was th I was thinking about this. There was a video that came out some years ago, and I'm sure many of you have, have seen it. Uh, it was a, a video by a, a young man named Jefferson Bethke. It's actually filmed here in Tacoma over at Stadium High School. It uh, went viral on the internet. It's a video. It's titled, Why I Love Jesus But Hate Religion. And really, this, this was a great video. Uh, Jefferson, in, in this video, he, he articulated his great, sincere, devout love for Jesus and then unpacked a few criticisms or concerns that he had with organized religion. Ways in which organized religion had maybe gone too far or had uh, in some way, shape, or form become an impediment to one's right relationship with Jesus. Maybe ways that organized religion had at times actually done this disastrous thing where it had become more harmful than helpful. And on the whole, I, I agree with so much of, of what he said. I'm, I'm glad that, that, that he said this because this was a great, uh, helpful criticism from someone who is part of the church to continue to allow the church to reform and push people closer to the feet of Jesus. But what was disheartening for me was to see the way that some opponents of organized religion and some opponents of the church, the bride of Christ, would take this uh, video, weaponize it, manipulate it, and try to use it to attack the, the church. See, really, we have to come to a point where we can move past the why I love Jesus but, but hate religion. We have to move a, a step past that and get to a point where we can say, because I love Jesus, I love spending time with him. And do you know where I spend time with him? I spend time with him at home, sure. I spend time with him when, when, when I'm out in nature. I spend time with him, I, I can do it when I'm at the grocery store. But gosh, you know where I really love spending time with Jesus? I love spending time with Jesus here in his house with his people. Man, there's something special about the assembly of saints gathered together, worshiping, praying, reading the word together. Because I love Jesus, I love being in his presence, and I love being in the presence of other people who love being with Jesus. You know what? I have to get to a point where I can say that because I follow Jesus, I'm going to follow his example. You know, we all love, love Jesus. We love compassion, Jesus. We love grace, Jesus. We like to follow that example, but what about commitment, Jesus? What about sacrifice, Jesus? What about not my will, but thy will be done, Jesus? In order for me to accurately follow Jesus, I have to follow his example. I have to do the things that he did. Christ spent time in spiritual disciplines of prayer, 
fasting, reading scripture, gathering at the temple. For us, it would be the church. The New Testament church was founded and built upon pillars of people devoting themselves to teaching. They'd corporately gather together. They would share a meal. They'd read scripture. They practiced whole life generosity. They prayed for one another. What they did in the book of Acts is they literally provided organization for what relationship with Jesus looks like. So when we talk about shifting our disciplines, I understand for, for some it might be a trigger point because it might feel a bit legalistic or religious. And if that's you, I, I really am sorry for whatever past experience that you've had whatever hurt has come from that, whether that was in this house or another, truly I apologize, but can I invite you to find a way to set that thing aside and can we just look at the disciplines that are required of those who wanna take hold of this good life that Jesus invites us to? Because here's the deal, good growth is going to require discipline. It's going to require some level of action. We can't just think our way into growth. Wanna know how I know? I have been thinking myself into bigger biceps for months and months and months. But I promise you, no amount of mental reps are ever gonna get these bad boys into a hypertrophy set. At some point, I've gotta grab the dumbbells and I've gotta run the rack on those bad boys. Somewhere along the way, if we wanna experience good growth, we need a shift in our disciplines, in what we actually do. Paul talks about this here in Romans chapter 12. Maybe you've heard this verse before. He says this, verse one of chapter 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. Pause right here. In fact, do this. Would you do this? This is bizarre. Even if you're at home, close your eyes. I just want you to think back on the last however many years of your life. And I want you to think about where the mercies of God have shown up for you. I want you to think about where you've been. Maybe you need to do this. Maybe you need to think about not just where you've been, but where you could have been if not for the mercies of God. Now open your eyes. In view of God's goodness, in view of his grace, in view of his mercy, in view of his sovereign hand at work in your life, there is an appropriate response that Paul invites us to, and it's this. It's to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. He said, this is your true act of worship. This doesn't sound like just thinking your way into growth. Come on. There's some action required here. Verse two, Paul says this, don't be conformed to this age, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, there's some thinking that takes place within this, but it can't just stop there. It's so that you may discern what is the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God. Now, Paul will go on. He'll talk about what this transformation process will do as it cascades down, not just from our relationship with God, but then to our relationship with others. He'll talk about that a few verses later, and we'll talk about that next week. Right now, I just want to look at Paul's words here. First, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now that's a bizarre concept. I'm sure that's strange for our ears today. It would have been a weird statement for his original audience then. That didn't compute with their understanding of sacrifice. See, sacrifice meant that the life of one thing was going to end so that another life could flourish. That's why you offered a sacrifice. And here Paul's taking that thing that they were familiar with, but he's modifying it just a little bit. And now he's talking about death to an old way of living so that a new way of living, a new life, a good life 
can flourish. He then invites us to to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What that might mean for us, let me step on some toes very gently here, is that there might be some old ways of thinking that may need to change. I'm sure that there's no one in the sound of my voice today who has ever been guilty of making the statement or having the thought, I don't have time to read my Bible today. I've just got too much going on. My, my, my calendar is full. I've got too many appointments, too many errands to run. I just, I, there's just no time for me to read my Bible today. But man, can I tell you that new episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi is coming out. And ah, man, I am going to watch that. And I think what I want to do is I want to binge watch the entire Star Wars franchise before I watch that Obi-Wan Kenobi episode so that I don't miss out on any of the other little fun goodies that they're sneaking in there. Okay, this isn't a huge Star Wars fan. That, 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 that's okay, that's okay. It'll, uh, it'll, it'll come around later. You contextualize it, whatever your thing is. Desperate housewives, I, I, I don't care. Whatever your vice is. It's funny the things that we will make time for and then we'll just kind of leave that thing on the table. Maybe you've, you've done this, you've been guilty of the thinking that, that, that says, oh, I, I, just, I just don't have the time or, or the space to pray. I just can't carve out the the appropriate space, the appropriate margin to to be diligent in my prayer life. But then you'll make the complaint, well, now that we're we're in person at work again, I've got this long commute, so thank God I've got this podcast that I can listen to or this book that I can read. Oh, I, I found this other thing to bide my time. Maybe you need to turn that Toyota Corolla into your prayer closet. Maybe on that commute, you could find a way to renew and, and redeem that thing. Inject prayer into your life. Look, the the list will go on and you can contextualize it for your situation. But friend, make no mistake, for every justification that we make for these repetitive thought patterns and behaviors, what would it look like for you to think different? What would it look like for you to adopt a new way of thinking that says, gosh, you know what? I can't miss my time in scripture today. Because with everything that I am going through at work right now, I know that I need the truth of his word. What would it look like for you to to renew that thinking, to move to a place where you could say, I am just too gosh darn busy not to pray. With all the things I have going on, with all of the things that he has purposed for me to do, man, I cannot afford to not be as sharp and as intentional and as as focused as I need to be. And that only happens by getting ourselves recalibrated through prayer. What would that shift look like for you? See, Paul made this statement to to wrap up that little passage there in Romans. He said this, uh, do this so that you may discern what is the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God? See, sometimes it's, it's hard to know what the good life is, what the good life requires. Sometimes it's, it's difficult to discern those things. Here's what I have found to be true. Uh, discernment never comes if we are trusting in, if we're putting weight or stock in the wrong things, or if we're looking to the wrong solutions. Here's the third shift that we probably need to make. It's not just, just a shift in our desires. It's not just a shift in our disciplines. But finally, there's a shift that needs to take place in our defense mechanisms. Let me unpack what I I mean by that. That might be some unfamiliar terminology for you. A shift in our defense mechanisms. We read in 1 Peter a few moments ago. I want to look there again right now. Peter wrote these words. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, gotta go, envy, no place, slander, bye. 
like newborn infants. Desire the pure milk of the word. If you can shift your desire, here's what will happen. You'll grow up. Remember growth, it's going to require discipline. You'll grow up in your salvation. Then he says this in verse 3. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, when Peter makes that statement, he is actually quoting from, from Old Testament scripture. He's quoting from the book of Psalms, chapter 34. And I want to read this brief passage over you. Maybe you're in the midst of a moment right now where you feel like your sense of the good life is being held in jeopardy. Maybe you're up against it. Maybe you desperately need someone to come to your defense. You need a defense mechanism. Can I read these words over you as an encouragement? The psalmist writes this, Psalm 34, verse 4. He says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. I don't know what you're walking through today. Can I encourage you? This is what he's able to do. He rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. That sounds like the good life to me. The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. Aren't you grateful that God hears us? The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him, and he rescues them. Then in verse 8, here's this promise for us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Here's a question for you today. What are you taking refuge in? What's your defense mechanism? What's the thing that you're running to right now? Look, oftentimes when we feel like our good life is being jeopardized, we will do anything and everything that we can to defend it. We will kick and scream, we will claw and fight tooth and nail, I get it, but more often than not, that just leaves us exhausted because we are fighting a battle that is way too big for us to tackle all on our own. See, this is where us just putting in the work is totally pointless if we aren't partnered with the Holy Spirit. So this week, here's the question for you. When you're stressed out and when you're at your wit's end, what would it look like for you to take refuge in him? What would it look like to run to Jesus rather than running to some other silly thing? Gosh, rather, rather than a, a, a TV show or some mindless entertainment. Look, TV isn't the devil, but it ain't Jesus either. What would it look like for you? Maybe step on some toes, but but instead of at the end of your day when you're stressed out, instead of cracking a cold one, what would it look like to to crack this thing open? That's right, that's good. Contextualize it for your situation. I I don't want to pick on whatever your your thing is, but, but what is your current defense mechanism? What are you running to for refuge and for defense? What is the cue that's leading you to some type of craving And what's the solution that you're looking to for relief? Is it possible that whatever that thing might be, be it destructive or be it completely neutral, could be replaced or redeemed by or with something better? Look, I've got hobbies. We all need some things that we can do that'll bypass certain parts of our brain to allow another part of it to unwind. I'm not saying you can't go have fun because you should just be hidden away in your Toyota Corolla prayer closet. But I am asking the question, what what would it look like for you to redeem and renew that fun thing? By inviting him into it, by turning that thing into worship so that he remains your safe refuge and your rescue.
If we want to take hold of the good life that Jesus is inviting us to live, we've got to grow up. And good growth, it requires us to put in the work and to partner with the Holy Spirit. In order to do this, we've got to shift some things. We've got to have a shift in our desires. You might need to ask yourself that painful question, does what I want right now, does it move me closer to or further from Jesus? We need a shift in our disciplines. I said that I love Jesus, but do I love spending time with him? I said that I'll follow Jesus, but am I really following his example? It's not legalism, it's obedience. Finally, that shift in our defense mechanisms. Am, am I running to him when my good life feels threatened? I wanna invite you to pull out your phones right now. There's a slide that's gonna come up on the screen here. It's got a QR code. I'm gonna invite you to put some of this into practice, something we do every single week here. I invite you to take a next step. You can scan that code. If you're with us online, there's an option in the chat that you can take part in. Also, if you're in person, there's a little card on the seat back in front of you. But I'm gonna invite you to take a next step. Maybe for you, the next step today is that you're going to put in the work, partner with the Holy Spirit. If that's you, go ahead and check that box. Our team wants to pray for you, wanna encourage you. Maybe you're here today and you're gonna take the ultimate next step. You're gonna put your trust in Jesus. You're gonna say yes to a relationship with him. If that's you, our team wants to pray for you. We wanna send you a book this week, give you a call, talk about the decision that you're making. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads right now and I wanna pray for you. Jesus, thank you for who you are. God, thank you that you've made it possible for us to partake in the good life. Lord, I pray for my friends this morning who are gonna put in the work, who are gonna partner with you, who are gonna experience some type of shift in how they live life. God, I pray that you would give them the courage, the conviction to do it. Holy Spirit, thanks that you make this possible. Lord, for my friends who are saying yes to you today, we know that all of heaven is rejoicing now as they make this decision. If that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus today, I'm gonna invite you to repeat this prayer after me. And because these new friends are being welcomed into a grander body of believers, Life Center, I'm gonna invite all of us to repeat this prayer together. Would you say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. I put my trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a new creation. And help me to follow you every day of my life. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Hey, can we applaud those that prayed that prayer for the first time today?